0: Rupert pushed harder, lending more and more pressure, more strength. And then the stones were shifting, grating against one another as three of them peeled away from the others, rolling down the sloped heap like misshapen balls, and coming to a stop among the mossy rocks below. Rupert opened her eyes. The exertion had been difficult, but exhilarating. Beside her, Solandra was grinning. The way ahead of them was open, the dark mouth of an ancient carved stone gateway. Rupert felt a warm breeze against her cheek, whispering from inside the old structure. She knew instinctively that this was the place they'd been looking for. Whoever, or whatever, had been reaching out to her through the Force was inside. Well, so far, so good, said Solandro. Rupert must have looked confused, as Zalandro added, No angry locals. When Rupert didn't respond, Zalandro said, in a gentler voice, Are you all right, Padawan? Rupert shook her head to clear it. Yes, sorry, she said. I'm fine, it's just... this place. There's something about it. A sense of time and history. Of being lost salandro nodded the force is strong here it remembers all that is past but we must remain on our guard it would be easy to lose yourself to that pull stay focused yes master said ruper she followed salandro as she clambered back up the pile of stones sliding down the other side and through the opening inside the ground sloped away in a long narrow passageway The only light was what spilled through the hole behind them. Instinctively, they both ignited their lightsabers to help them see. The flickering light caused shadows to dance on the sheer stone walls, where moss and creeping vines had taken up residence. They crept on, down the steep slope. The air was warm and stale, like a breath that had been held for too long. Their footsteps rang out loud and sharp and the echoing sound the walls reflected made it seem to Ruper as if the building were whispering to her, shushing in her ear. After a minute or two, the sloping passageway opened, growing wider and taller, and beginning to level off. They were deep underground, Rupert realized. Beneath, she supposed, what was left of the old tower. This, then, was the lower level of the ancient Jedi Temple, ...saved from the worst of the destruction by being buried so far beneath the bedrock of gloom, She caught sight of something on the wall to her left. A flash of color. And stopped for a moment to examine it. She held one of her lightsabers above her head, leaning closer. It was a wall painting. A fresco, depicting white-robed figures in simple but beautiful art. They were Jedi and they were working together to push back a dark and ominous figure that seemed to tower over them, its lower body emerging from billowing black smoke. Just the sight of it made Rupert's skin crawl. The painting moved on in a sequence that seemed to be relating a story of how the Jedi had defeated this mysterious figure, but large fragments of the art had flaked off in the intervening centuries. Rupert followed the story as best she could, as she paced behind Salandro, But then she saw something that made her stop in her tracks. "'Master? Look at this!' Solandro backtracked a few steps to join her, holding up her own lightsaber to cast more illumination on the scene on the wall. "'Lots of the ancient temples have seen such as this,' she said. "'Stories of the ancient Jedi holding back the dark.' "'It's not that,' said Rupert. She indicated a particular panel on the wall, where a lone figure, a Jedi, stood with arms outstretched, surrounded by a halo of light. Look there! Salandro's expression shifted as she took in what Rupert was showing her. A catacute. A catacute Jedi, said Rupert. This must be hundreds of years old, said Salandro. Perhaps even Thousands. I think something happened here on Gloam, said Rupert, something long ago, a story that we haven't been told. I think you might be right, said Celandro. but we can't worry about that now, not until we've figured out what happened to the other team. They stepped away from the frescoes, continuing down the passageway but Rupert couldn't shake the feeling that whatever she'd just seen was somehow connected to what had happened to Rock and the others. It had to be. Ahead, the passageway opened into a cavernous space. There, the natural black bedrock had been carved back to create a great hall, large enough to contain the entire Umberfall, perhaps twice over. Huge, smooth-sided pillars aligned a path through the center of the space, and towering statues of two long-forgotten Jedi stood at either end of this avenue. One had partially collapsed, half the woman's hooded face lying in ruin around the pedestal on which she stood. Several of the pillars had fallen, too, shattered into segments that still lay where they had fallen. Dust and grit covered the once-polished floor, and lying on his side with his back to them, right in the middle of the chamber, was a robed man. Salandro's cry echoed loudly through the enormous space. Rock! Rock! Chapter 20 It does seem odd. The tea? Cam sighed. Of course it does. It's different, isn't it? It's not really tea. Not in the sense that it's made from tea leaves, from the same tea plants that we grow. The principle is the same. A mash of leaves, steeped in boiled water to create a tasty drink. But since the leaves are from a different plant, it's always going to seem odd to us, who are used to our sort of tea. He sipped from his mug as if to underline his point. It's only to be expected when you visit New Worlds. I wasn't talking about the tea, said Amos. You weren't? Then why didn't you say— The Thielen pinched the bridge of his nose between his thumb and forefinger. Because you didn't give me a chance. Look, let's forget about the tea. But I'm enjoying it. I don't want to forget it. I didn't mean you can't drink it, said Amos, his exasperation plain. Then why did you say I had to forget it, pressed Cam. Sometimes, Amos, you say the strangest things. Amos slowly counted to five beneath his breath. One, two, three, four, five. I was talking about the communications blackout. Said GT-11. Yes, I know it was an obvious statement, GT, said Amos. Look, I was just trying to make the point that it's unusual, that's all. But is it? said Cam, shaking his head so his leku bounced against his shoulders. I mean... The electrical storm's in Gloom's atmosphere would be enough to play havoc with long-range communications regardless. It's no wonder we can't reach them. Ah, said Amos, narrowing his eyes. But it's not the long-range comms that have me worried. It's the short-range. The short-range? Precisely. That's the real mystery. The storms would interfere with any satellite transmissions. But the surface-level comms should still be working, shouldn't they? Think about it. The Catacute have had mining operations on Gloam for centuries. Think about everything that would have to go wrong for all their short-range comps to go down. Not just the systems themselves, but all the backups, too. No one built a system that can break so easily. The three of them, Cam, Amos, and GT-11, were in the systems hub at the center of Diurna, along with a Catacute named Sulek, who had fur so fine and light It appeared almost white. He was perched on a stool, watching them with interest as they stood around sipping tea and debating what to do next. Well, GT-11 wasn't sipping tea, but the point stood. Amos felt almost blinded by all the amazing circuitry and technology on display in there. He knew that most people would just see a room filled with trailing cables, control panels, dials, knobs, and instrument panels... But to him, it was like... Well, it was like being a little kid on Life Day. There was so much to learn. So much to take in. The Catacoot had a unique way of doing everything, so far as he could tell. He wanted to try to understand it all. To explore it like the Pathfinders explored worlds. But first, they had a job to do. Not least because he knew the others were relying on him. Cam and GT-11. To get the comms back up and running. Well, said Cam, maybe the Catacute don't build in backup systems like we do. In a city like this, said Amos. You've seen it out there. The Catacute are as advanced as any civilization I've seen. Yes, they have a problem with resources, but any engineer who knows how to build a hover sled knows about creating a backup system. Cam seemed to be chewing on a mouthful of tea. Amos wondered how that was even possible. He watched the Twi'lek's throat bob as he swallowed. "'Maybe we take another look at the main relay. We might have missed something.' "'But we've been over it twice,' said Amos. "'And the Katakou engineers have examined it countless times, too. You really think we've missed something? What else could it be?' "'GT says the satellites are all registering on the scans as operational.' said GT-11, by way of confirmation. So it seems unlikely that someone's tampered with those. Cam placed his mug on a bank of monitors. Amos winced at the thought of what would happen if it spilled, and then he frowned. Tampered? You think the problems might be on purpose? Cam shrugged. I don't think we can rule it out. Either the problem with the systems is very far from obvious... Or someone's hiding it very well indeed. Amos considered this for a moment. You're right. And we've only been looking for the obvious. We're trying to find a catastrophic fault. Something big that would stand out. Which makes sense. It would have to be a major problem to affect the entire communications network, said Cam. But if you're right, if someone's tampered with it on purpose, then they'll have covered their tracks... Their eyes met. Amos felt excitement bubbling up inside him. They were onto something. He was sure of it. He hurried over to the alcove where the main communications relay was housed and pulled open the hatch. Inside, tiny lights winked in a series of bright patterns. Wires coiled in every conceivable direction, like a nest of snakes. He felt Cam's hand on his shoulder as they both leaned closer following the looping trail of wires, redrawing circuit patterns in their minds. This, Amos knew, was what he'd been born to do. Data switch. Relay module. Static discharge regulator. Power hub. He paused. Cam, does that power hub look different to the others? Cam leaned a little closer, screwing up his eyes. One of his leku pressed against the side of Amos's face. Amos tried to nudge it away with his chin. You know, I think it does. It might be nothing, but the casing is slightly misaligned. Just on that outer edge. Amos pushed him back enough that he could breathe. I thought so too. GT? <clears throat> Came the electronic beep from somewhere just below him. Amos glanced down. The Astro Mech was crammed into the confined space, too, his little mechanical arms already unfolded. Amos sighed. See if you can open the casing of that power hub, would you? Came the excited response. It seemed that the droid was just as thrilled about getting to the bottom of the problem as Amos and Cam were. Amos felt a warm glow at the thought. Oh, and be careful. It might be booby trapped. ...or have a failsafe that will take down the whole system. Behind them, Sulek said something urgent in the Catacute language. Amos couldn't understand what it was, but he thought he probably got the gist of it. Don't worry, Sulek. Everything's going to be fine. GT-11 had the casing in his grippers, and was carefully teasing open the power hub. After a moment, the casing made a popping sound and fell apart, revealing another circuit dotted with more winking lights. That's not a power hub, said Cam. (coughs) Said GT-11. Sabotage, whispered Amos. All the lights blinked out. Chapter 21 The ruined city loomed before them. Now he was standing at the foot of it. Doss was taken aback by its incredible size and scale. A city built into the side of a cliff. It seemed impossible. There were no steps, no elevators, no obvious means by which to reach the array of ornate arched openings that had been cut into the black rock. Some of the openings had small jutting balconies, although many of these had since perished, crumbling away to leave just a few protruding ledges of rock. One thing was obvious to Doss. This was no modern city. In fact, he'd be hard-pressed to believe it was built any time in the past 500 years. It looked more like an archaeological site than anywhere people might still inhabit. A city that only goes up? said Deatrix. Who would even build such a thing? People who weren't confined to a horizontal plane, said Middick beside her. She extended her arms, allowing the big flaps of skin beneath them to billow in the wind. People who had wings. Diatrix seemed to consider this for a moment. You're right. That makes sense. And you're sure your friends went in there? Said Spence, who was standing beside Doss, peering up at the sheer cliff face. Diatrix made a clacking sound with her tongue. That's what Rillick told us. And back on Abydos, Kitik explained that this was all part of the Catacute's mining operation. Deatrix and Middick had given Doss and Spence the full story as they trekked across the rocky plains to get to the city, including outlining the dire situation that Catacute had found themselves in and the efforts of the Pathfinder teams to help. That explains the three silos of mineral over there, said Doss, pointing out the massive containers. They were the ones he'd told the others about back at the camp. And all of the old equipment laying around. It's true, said Medic. The mineral seams in the old shafts had run dry. The tunnels beneath the refinery spread deep and far, but the miners hadn't been able to extract anything usable for months. So the order was given to venture into the ruined city and reopen the ancient mines. The seams in there are still rich, she shrugged. My people were reluctant. There were the stories. About the monsters, said Das. Medic nodded. Bedtime tales. About nameless creatures that dwelled in the old city and had once consumed the entire population who lived there. That bit's new, said Deatrix. And not particularly encouraging. Of course, there were no monsters to be found. The city had been abandoned millennia ago, so new shafts were sunk and the mineral continued to flow. Until the monsters showed up, after all, said Das. Yes, people died. The mines were abandoned and the miners all fled, taking most of the usable transport ships with them. Middick looked up at the ruins before them. And now here we are. "'and your friends went inside,' said Doss. "'To try to help,' said Deatrix. "'To investigate.' "'And they haven't come back,' said Spence. "'Now,' said Deatrix. "'And now we're going in,' said Doss. "'He swallowed. His throat was dry. "'He unclipped his canteen from his pack "'and dribbled some water into his mouth. "'When he'd finished, he noticed that Deatrix was looking at him.' You want some? He offered her the canteen. No, thank you. But listen, you don't have to come with us. You've both been through enough. You can wait here while we take a look inside, find somewhere safe to camp down until we're back. Then we can all head back to our ship. Doss felt a sense of panic rising inside his chest. He didn't want them to go without him. Not now they'd found him and his dad. Not after everything. He didn't think he could handle being stranded again, and there was little chance the beacon would work a second time. I think it's better that we stick together, he managed to say, his voice strained. I agree, said Spence. There's safety in numbers. And besides, my curiosity is already getting the better of me. I want to see what's in there. Doss gave a relieved laugh. Ever the prospector, Dad. There's just one problem, added Spence. What's that? How are we even going to get up there? Deatrix beamed. Ah, that's the fun bit. It turned out the fun bit was scrabbling up the side of a huge abandoned mining vehicle and helping Deatrix jumpstart the engine. Together, she and Doss had popped the inspection hatch and tugged out a bundle of wires. Deatrix had sorted through them and the look of concentration on her face as she pulled on each thread, the tip of her tongue sticking out from the corner of her mouth, had caused Doss to laugh harder than he'd laughed for weeks. He liked these people, not just because they'd come to help him, but because they wanted to help. There was something about Deatrix's casual manner, the way she always seemed to be putting others first. That was so different from the sort of crowd they usually hung out with. People like Sunshine Dobbs, who had clearly only ever thought of himself. Middick, too, seemed genuinely concerned about Deatrix's missing friends and the plight of her people. Just being around them made Doss feel like everything was going to be okay. Spence had clearly taken to the newcomers, too. He'd sat with Middick while Doss and Deatrix worked, relating stories of his adventures among the stars, laughing, ...and telling his awful jokes. Maybe things really were looking up. Now they were standing in the cradle of a large pneumatic crane... ...that was built on the back of the mining vehicle while Dietrichs slowly guided them up... ...higher and higher, toward the first level of the city. It hadn't taken much in the end to get the vehicle up and running... ...and Doss realized this was clearly how the miners had entered the old tunnels, too. What about your friends? said Doss, a sudden thought occurring to him. Hmm, said Deatrix. I was just thinking, how did your friends get into the city? They can't have used the same crane because we had to get it started. Jedi, said Deatrix, as if that was the only explanation necessary. Doss stood by the rail as the cradle continued to rise. After a moment, the crane juddered to a halt and Doss was forced to grab the rail to stop himself tumbling over the side. He looked down, and the ground seemed to swim up to meet him. He felt Middick's hand on his back, pulling him away from the edge. Best you focus on looking straight ahead, she said. Doss nodded, fighting back the urge to vomit. They were higher up than he had thought. The cradle had drawn level with one of the openings in the side of the cliff face. Now that they were up there, Doss could see that the arched opening was far more elaborate than he had imagined from down below. He thought they were simply like cave mouths, yawning open into passages with tunnels behind. But now he could see the opening had been expertly chiseled into the dark rock, with intricate patterns running up the sides describing what looked to be interweaving leaves and vines. The passage of years had eroded the crispness of the stonework, but it was still incredible to look upon it and consider the history behind it all. What was less incredible to look upon was the gap between the cradle's platform and the stone ledge on the other side. Doss watched in horror as first Deatrix, then Midic, hopped across, as if the massive drop beneath them was nothing to fear. "'Dad?' he started but Spence was already following suit, jumping across to the ledge where the others had made room. He landed neatly and then turned around and held out his hand to Doss. Come on, Doss. You'll be fine. I've got you. Doss, standing on the edge of the cradle, made the mistake of glancing down at the plummeting drop between him and the ledge. He couldn't even see the ground anymore. His vision swam. He was starting to feel woozy. Perhaps I'll just wait here, on the cradle, he said. That way I'll be ready if you have to make a run for it. Spence pulled a face. It was a familiar one. The one he always pulled whenever Doss didn't want to do something that needed to be done. Come on, I'm not going anywhere without you. It's perfectly safe. Just step across and take my hand. Perfectly safe. It didn't look it. But then, hadn't he faced the monsters on his own just the day before? He'd plucked up the courage, gone out there, and fetched the beacon. He used his dad's prod to fight one of the things off. And because of that, because of what he'd done, Midic and Deatrix had found them. Maybe I can do this. Maybe. He hopped across the gap before he could change his mind. His foot landed on the ledge and slid scooching on loose grit he wheeled his arms for a moment felt himself toppling back and then spence had his wrist and was pulling him in holding him steady until he found his footing he finally remembered to breathe well done son said spence you're a born prospector Doss smiled relieved but then he looked at Deatrix, who had lit a glow rod from her pack and was holding it above her head already descending into the tunnel that wended its way into the side of the cliff. He could see the eagerness on her face, not just to explore, but to find and help her lost friends. A thought bubbled up inside Das before he could stop it. Maybe he wasn't a born prospector after all. Maybe he was something else. Maybe he was a pathfinder. Patting his dad on the shoulder, he set out to follow the others into the ruined city. Chapter 22 Rillick peeled open his eyes. The overhead lights were bright and stinging. He blinked away watery tears. After a moment, his focus returned. He'd been pretending to be asleep for some time. An hour, maybe? It was hard to tell. Obik had finally stopped running annoying tests, poking and prodding him and drawing vials of his precious blood. Now the big green Mary Allen was busy trying to synthesize a cure. Well, good luck with that. Rilla could hear noises coming from somewhere on his left. He turned his head slowly on the pillow, unsure whether he was being observed by either Obic or the droid. No, Obik was nowhere to be seen. The workstation looked cluttered with bottles and test tubes, And the noises were coming from a small white machine that was slowly churning and whirring on the bench. Rillick guessed that Obik must have set the machine going and then gone to get something to eat or drink. It had been some time since their last meal. Cautiously, he propped himself up on one elbow, looking around for any sign of the droid. He grinned when he saw the stupid tin can was gone too. He was alone. They must have left him to sleep, just as he'd hoped. Relic swung his legs down off the cot and sat up, yanking away the wires, tubes, and sticky pads that Obik had attached to his body. He winced as the pads tore away small patches of fur. He tossed them onto the bed. Luckily, the monitoring equipment hadn't trilled in sudden alarm. He took a deep breath, stretched, and then stifled a cough. There was no doubt about it. The disease was getting worse. All the more reason to get moving. He had to buy himself all the time he could to enjoy the spoils of his victory. There was still every chance his plan could work. The arrival of the second Pathfinder team had been a wrinkle, but if he played things right, he could turn it into a win. The two Jedi had gone off on some wild chase in the middle of nowhere, and the rest of them had been foolish enough to listen to Rillick's story about the old ruins, which just left the medic and the droid. Rillick got to his feet, looking around for something he could use as a weapon. There was nothing obvious to hand. Several medical units, more testing or monitoring equipment, sat unused on metal carts in one corner of the small room. The machines themselves were too big and bulky to serve as useful weapons, but the metal struts of the carts looked as though they could be easily disassembled. Perfect. Relic glanced at the door, which opened out into a narrow passage that led into the belly of the ship, terminating in the common area. Still no sign of anyone coming. He crossed to the nearest cart and started unscrewing one of the struts. It came away after only a minute or two, causing the cart to list awkwardly to one side. The slightest nudge and the whole thing would come crashing down. Not that it would be a problem soon. Rilic weighed the metal bar in his hand. It was reassuringly solid. It would suffice for his needs. He slipped the metal bar beneath the fold of his wing and hurried to the door. Then, when he was sure the coast was clear, he set out. Marching along the passageway at a near run, he wanted to get this over with. As he entered the common area, he saw that things were just as he'd imagined. Obik sat at the small table, eating stew from a bowl, while the droid, Nibs, was hovering close by. Obik looked up, concern creasing his brow. He dropped a spoon into the bowl with a clatter and started to get to his feet. Relic? You shouldn't be up and about. He didn't get to finish the sentence, as the swing from Rillick's metal bar struck him across the side of the head, sending him crashing heavily to the floor. He was unconscious immediately. He didn't even let out a groan. Rillick spun to see the droid darting toward him, its three metal arms extended as if to grab for him. He swung the metal bar like a club. It connected with the droid on the underside of its disc-shaped head, sending it spinning out of control across the room. It crashed against the wall with a resounding clang, and then clattered to the ground, the light in its central eye dimming. It rolled a few meters across the floor, and then came to a stop. Its case was dented, and it wasn't moving. Relic stood for a moment, breathing heavily, shoulders rising and dipping. It felt good to be in control again. Chapter 23 Solandro, Is it really you? The look of sheer relief on Rock's face was enough to move Rupert to tears. She wiped at her eyes as Solandro embraced her fellow Jedi Master in a heartfelt hug. He winced as her hands brushed against the torn fabric of his robes. You're injured, said Solandro. Rock nodded. Aye, but it's not so bad. Not as bad as it could have been. Solandro turned him around, her hands on his shoulders. Rupert was appalled to see three huge gashes in his dark brown flesh, stretching from his right shoulder to the small of his back. His robes hung loose around the wounds, encrusted in dried blood. ...Ruber couldn't understand how he was even standing. He had to be in constant agony. He'd clearly received no medical treatment at all. "'What did this to you?' asked Solandro. Rock turned back to face her. "'You mean... you haven't met them yet?' "'Met what?' "'The creatures.' Rock glanced at Ruber and cocked a crooked smile... ...that didn't quite reach his sad, tired eyes... He ran a hand through his wiry black beard sounds like the two of you have been very lucky this is ruper by the way said salandro my padawan she gave a proud smile ruper fought the urge to roll her eyes good to meet you ruper said rock i only wish it could have been under better circumstances and you master Baran," said ruper rock please call me rock of course rock there was a moment of awkward silence what happened rock said salandro where's malik and the others rock searched salandro's face for a moment before replying they're gone you mean he nodded once it was enough the pain on his face was plain to see they're one with the Force now, all three of them. Malik. Rupert had hardly known the boy, but the sheer horror of hearing he was gone was like a punch to the gut. He'd been so young, just the same age as Rupert. So much potential lost. I'm sorry, said Solandro. I'm so, so sorry. She shot Ruper a glance filled with empathy and sadness. Salandro knew that Rupert had known Malik, even if only a little, and knew that the Padawan would be feeling the boy's loss. Rupert gave her a slow nod. Rock looked away, as if the kindness heard as much as the memory itself. This was far from the Rock whom Rupert had always heard about in stories from the other Jedi. The willful, sociable, hilarious man who'd grown a little too accustomed to life on the edge of the galaxy. But it was hardly surprising. He'd clearly been through a lot. After a moment, Rock said, I survived. Barely. And that's all I've been doing in the days since. Surviving. I hoped someone would come. But H.C. was so damaged and I wasn't sure... His voice trailed off. We got your message, Rock. We're here. His shoulders drooped, and Rupert couldn't tell if it was relief or sadness, or just knowing that, finally, he wasn't alone anymore. We'd better get those wounds cleaned up, said Solandro. "Ruper, why don't you raise a fire? Night will be closing in soon, and we might as well make camp here, where it's safe. She put her hand on Rock's shoulder. And then you can tell us all about it. Rupert watched them for a moment, and then went to gather wood for the fire. "'Something led me here,' said Rock. They were sitting cross-legged around the small fire that Rupert had managed to build from salvaged bits of wood she found in the temple ruins. Salandro had washed and dressed Rock's wounds as well as she'd been able, and now they were sipping hot water as Rock related his tale. "'The Force, I think.' "'I was nearly delirious with the pain and loss, but I knew I had to get away. "'I couldn't believe my eyes when I found a Jedi temple out here in the wilderness, abandoned. "'It's remarkable,' said Ruper. Solandro smiled. "'You have Rupert to thank for us finding you. "'She sensed your presence here the moment we landed. "'I'm grateful,' said Rock. "'I've been here for what feels like weeks.' It's the most defensible position I could find. The creatures. They come at night. He shrugged. I've been able to move around a little in the day, as much as my wounds will allow. That's how I got to the foundling and managed to rescue Aitsy, send him out with a message. I found a few packs of rations that hadn't been destroyed in the explosion, and I've been sitting it out down here ever since. I knew I wouldn't get far on my own. I couldn't even consider taking on those things, injured as I am. Rupert wondered what the creatures were that could take on an experienced Jedi Master like Rock, and his entire team. She was beginning to hope she'd never have to meet one. Perhaps all this adventuring wasn't as exciting as she'd imagined. She couldn't stop thinking about poor Malik, and the rest of Rock's team. How would she feel if it were Obik, Deatrix, and Solandro who died? Jedi were taught to deal with loss, but that didn't mean they didn't feel it. For the first time, Rupert thought she understood why the Jedi were out there on the frontier, why Solandro was always so focused on doing whatever needed to be done to help people, whether that was dealing with diplomats and politicians, or fixing water pumps on agricultural worlds. ...because it wasn't about them, the Jedi. It wasn't about adventure and having fun. It was about doing what was necessary, about saving lives. And when a Jedi put themselves in danger, it wasn't for the thrill. It was because someone needed to stand in the way of the monsters. Always the shield. Perhaps what Rupert had mistaken as sensible and boring in Master Show... ...was really just a deep sense of compassion and duty. Shielding everyone else from harm's way, just like she shielded Rupert every day. Now Rupert needed to be that shield too, for Rock, for Solandro for the rest of her own team, and for the Catacute. She only hoped she was up to it. Tell us about the attack, prompted Solandro her tone gentle. Rock took a sip of his water. We went to Abydos because the Catacute needed help. Creighton and his team were held up dealing with the conflict between Iram and Arana, and we were the closest alternative. We were happy to do what we could while the Katakud awaited the main Republic delegation. Solandro nodded. We visited Abadas before we came after you. We know about their resource issues, and the legends about the monsters. Rock sighed. Then, you know, we came to Gloam to investigate... We figured if we could get to the bottom of what was going on and allow them to reopen the mines, even temporarily, it would see them through until the Republic could send engineers to install an alternative. You did what any of us would have done. We were offered a guide, a katakute called Rillick. He promised to show us where the miners had been attacked, in the old city in the cliff, said Rock. Ruper sipped her steaming water warming herself by the fire. So far, Rock's story matched what Rillick had told them. She thought of him, back on the ship with Obik and EX-9B, and hoped he was doing okay. But when we got in there... His voice trailed off. His eyes looked unfocused. Ruper realized he was replaying those horrible memories, reliving every step he'd taken. We were ambushed. We didn't see them coming. Malik was the first two. He swallowed. By the time I knew what was happening, one of them was on top of me. I went down, injured. It was chaos. All I could hear was the others screaming. He was squeezing his tin mug so hard that it began to buckle and twist in his grip. And then the screaming stopped. But you got out, said Solandro. Her voice level. I think they left me for dead. I was badly hurt. I dipped in and out of consciousness for a while. When I came around again, they'd gone. I dragged myself up and got out of there as quickly as I could. It was clear Jonath and Branda hadn't made it either. But this place... He looked up at the statues of the two Jedi. Silent sentinels in the gloom. It called to me, brought me to safety. Thank the light, said Solandro. She placed her mug on the ground by her feet and spread her hands before her, banishing the chill with the warmth of the fire. It was a couple of days before I was strong enough to make an expedition outside, said Rock. That's where I first encountered the creatures again, and realized that they weren't really creatures at all. ''What do you mean?'' said Ruper. ''They look like Catacute,'' said Rock, ''but much bigger with flatter snouts, and they lack true sentience. There was no reasoning with them, and I couldn't reach them through the force. When I cut one, all that spilled out was a stream of fine black crystals instead of blood.'' ''Crystals?'' said Salandro. Rock nodded. ''I've been developing a theory.'' See, what if the minerals that the Katakut have been mining here were once alive millennia ago? Alive and malicious. And what if now, even in their inert form, they still retain some of the malign intent? You can feel that darkness in the force radiating off the creatures when you're near them. Rokta looked from Salandro to Ruper. What if, long ago the minerals somehow infected some of the catacute, possessing their bodies and rewriting their minds. So you think these so-called monsters were once catacute, but are now, what, undead? Said Solandro. Exactly, said Rock, with nothing but the minerals keeping them moving, driving them mindlessly with their ancient hatred. Rupert shuddered. The thought was appalling so you managed to defeat one yes with some difficulty and then i retreated here i observed them for a few days waiting for an opportunity as soon as i saw one i made a break for the foundling he hesitated only to find someone had destroyed it to stop me getting away we saw what was left of it said ruper rock nodded That's when I realized the ambush wasn't accidental at all. We were led into a trap. Someone knew the creatures would attack us, and they didn't want any of us making it off Gloam alive. Who? said Solandro. Do you have any idea who could have done such a thing? Rock worked his jaw, his expression grim. Relic, he said. Our Catacoup guide. He wasn't there when we were attacked. He must have peeled off behind us in the tunnels, then blown up the foundling before getting away in a mining ship he'd left prepared for the purpose. Relic, said Salandro. This is Badrock. We brought him back to Glom with us, and he's aboard the Umberfall now with Obik. She stood, suddenly anxious. "Ruper, try the comms. See if you can get a hold of Obik. But Rupert was already on her feet and running for her pack. Chapter 24 Doss was feeling better now that they were inside the ruins. At least the ground there felt safe beneath his feet, and because they were moving deeper into the cliff face with every step, he didn't have to think about how high up they were. Deatrix led the way, holding her glow rod above her head, with Midic close behind her. Then Doss, with Spence bringing up the rear. They'd agreed to stick together while they tried to figure out their bearings and work out how to locate the mines. It was pitch black inside the structure, and Deatrix's glow rod bathed everything in a cool blue light. Doss felt cold, and the smooth carved rock of the walls even glittered like ice all around him the ruins were fascinating, although ruins might have been too strong a word. It was more that the city, or at least this part of it, had been abandoned, as if the people who'd once lived there had simply up and left. The arched entrance through which they'd come had soon opened into a large central avenue with a tall ceiling and more openings branching off to either side. These, it seemed, were the doorways to separate little warrens of rooms. Das guessed they must have been where people once lived. The contents of each of these homes had mostly gone, rotted away over time or looted by later generations. The work that had gone into carving them, though, was exquisite. This had been a sophisticated society. So what had happened to them? Why had they seemingly fled without a trace? "'There's something eerie about this place,' said Deatrix, up ahead. Her voice seemed to bounce off the walls before echoing up toward the high ceiling, lost in the gloom. "'It is filled with ghosts,' said Medic with a sniff. "'Ghosts?' said Doss. "'Not in the sense of lingering spirits,' said Medic, "'as might be feared in your culture. "'Merely that this city feels like it has stories still to tell,' about the people who once lived here. Doss allowed himself to exhale. Monsters were one thing, but ghosts too? That would have been too much to bear. It's like a hive, said Spence. All of these little chambers, the central aisle, the fact there's dozens, if not hundreds, of other dugout tunnels just like this one in the cliff face. If it's a hive, said Deatrix, then surely there must be some central point, a gathering place where the people could come together. That makes sense, said Middick. Deeper in the rock, maybe that's where we can find a path that leads to the mines. She said something that sounded like a curse in her own language. I wish Rillick was here. He could have led us straight to it. Let's keep on following this avenue, said Deatrix. We're heading deeper into the rock as it is. I'm sure we'll find. Oh, now look at those. Deatrix had come to a stop before a wall, facing another open archway just like the one through which they'd entered the city. More syrupy darkness lay beyond, but hanging above the archway and stretching along the length of the wall was a series of moldering, half-rotten tapestries. They were suspended from corroded metal rails, high above and hung low, like long banners or pennants. Each one depicted a different scene, although some were so discolored and moldy that the images were difficult to make out. Deatrix held her glow rod high, directing the light toward the faded panels. Doss edged forward to take a better look. There, he said, pointing to the first of the drapes which depicted a series of dark gray figures flitting in and out of the familiar cliff-faced city. The land all around them was lush and green, different from the bleak landscape out there now. They look like Catacute. Impossible, said midick She edged closer, peering up at the image. They do look like Catacute, said Deatrix. midick sniffed again. But this city is ancient, built before anything on Abydos. It would mean... Her voice trailed off as the consequences dawned on her. It would mean the catacute were on Gloam first. But they're flying, said Spence. I thought the catacute couldn't use their wings for flight. Not anymore, said Medik, her voice level. But once, a long time ago... She was still staring up at the tapestry. It... She hesitated. I can hardly believe it, but it might mean that my ancestors built this place. She shook her head. But we've always been taught that we originated on Abadoss. It doesn't make any sense. Doss moved on to look at the second picture. This one shows them opening up the mines, deep inside the cliff, he said and this one is unreadable. He was walking slowly beneath the row of banners, examining each in turn. They seem to be telling a story. Here, some of them are growing ill. Let me see, said Medic. She hurried to his side. The miners curse. Look, they're getting sick from the minerals they've mined. She rushed ahead of Doss and the others, "'And here it's... Oh, no. It can't be that. "'What is it?' said Deatrix. "'If this is true...' "'Middick's voice sounded strained. "'She seemed unable to finish her sentence. "'Doss and Spence hurried over. "'The tapestry showed huge catacoot with gleaming eyes, "'grown tall and monstrous, looming over the others.' Most of the Katakut were trying to run, but the monsters were laughing as they tore them to shreds. The destruction was shocking. It looked as though the monsters had rampaged through the entire city. They were transformed, said Das. It was all starting to make a terrible sort of sense. That was why the monsters looked so much like Midik. Why he and Spence had been so scared when they first met her because the monsters had once been ancient Katakut themselves. The minerals didn't just kill them, said Medic. They turned them into something else. They attacked the city. She moved on. And here, some of the catacute drove them back, down into the mines. They imprisoned them there. Then they sealed up the mines and abandoned the city had reached the end of the row of tapestries, and here the catacouder arriving on a new world. Abatos said, "Medic, her voice was barely a whisper. So it's true. Everything I've been told about our history is a lie." Now, said Deatrix, "It was so long ago, thousands of years. Stories change in the telling." "'Histories are rewritten, events forgotten. "'It doesn't mean that anyone lied. "'Just that it's been so long they've forgotten the truth.' "'And the warnings,' said Spence. "'They've forgotten those, too. "'The reason for these tapestries. "'Your ancient ancestors were trying to warn future generations "'about the mines and the minerals. "'The stories, the tales told to us as children. "'They were true.' "'They're all that's left of the real memories of what happened here,' said Medic. She sobbed. "'I'm sorry,' said Das. He didn't know what else to say or do. "'We didn't listen. "'We opened new mines away from the city. "'We kept on stripping Gloom, "'fueling our progress with the awful stuff we dug up. "'And then, when even those mines began to run dry,' We came back here and reopened the ancient tunnels and set the monsters free, said Das. They must have been here all this time, sealed somewhere below. What have we done? said Medic. You didn't know, said Deatrix. You're not to blame for any of this, Medic. Medic wiped her eyes. Perhaps not, but I can still help to put it right. I can't let history repeat itself. Deatrix nodded. And we're here to help. Then we start by finding your friends, said Midick. Rillick said they'd been attacked somewhere down in the mines. So that's where we go. We find Rock and the others, and then we return to Abadoss and tell my father and the Grand Council what we've learned. Doss glanced at his father but the question died on his lips when he saw the look of steely resolve in Spence's eyes. Of course we're going to help, too. Come on, then, said Doss, flashing his most confident smile. Looks like we might be needing another one of those glow rods. Chapter 25 the comm link emitted another shrill burst of static in Rupert's hand. She almost tossed it at the wall in frustration. Obic, Can you hear me? It's Rupert. Another crackle of interference. 9B? Nibs? Nothing. It's all right, Rupert. I think you can stop now. The comm's network is obviously still down. Hopefully Cam, Amos, and GT11 will get it working again soon, said Solandro. Her voice was calm, but her manner was anything but. She was pacing up and down the colonnade, her fingers laced behind her back. Her face screwed up in deep thought. You're going to wear a groove in those flagstones, said Rock. Solandro didn't answer. We've got to do something, said Rupert. If Rillick is responsible for what happened to Rock's team and for blowing up the foundling and we can't afford to wait around any longer for the comms to come back online. I know, Rupert, said Solandro. but Rock's injured, and night has fallen out there. The creatures will be on the prowl. Don't worry about me, said Rock. I'll be fine. Deatrix and Midic have gone into the city, and Obic is on the Umberfall with Rillik. We're the only ones who know the truth. We have to go. We have to risk it. Zalandra stopped pacing. She looked at Rupert. She opened her mouth to say something, but Rupert got there first. "'We are the shield,' she said. "'I get it now. It's our job to protect those who can't protect themselves, to help those in need, no matter what. This isn't about me seeking adventure, Master. It's about me seeking to do my duty as a Jedi.' "'I think she's got you there, Salandro, said Rock." He was smiling, and this time Rupert could see that he meant it. Salandro sighed with resignation. Once again, you astound me, Ruper. Very well. We head for the Umberfall. We apprehend Rillik and then go after Diatrix and Midic. But we're not splitting up. It's too risky. Now that the decision was made, she seemed filled with purpose again. She drew her shield from her back and slipped it onto her arm will be the shields they deserve," she cocked her crooked smile. "I'm proud of you, Padawan." Ruper felt a bloom of pride, but the feeling soon gave way to trepidation. Solandra was right; the creatures were out there somewhere, and they all knew what the things were capable of. It seemed unlikely they'd be able to avoid them, both out in the wilderness and in the mines. She was going to have to face them, one way or the other. Rock, said Zalandro, do you think you can make it? We can always come back for you in the morning. Rock stood, trying to hide the grimace of pain that crossed his face as he stretched his wounded back. If you think you're leaving me behind, you're sorely mistaken. I've spent enough time hiding down here alone. I owe it to Malik and the others to see justice served. Relik should answer for his crimes. And besides, we promise to help the Catacute. Very well. Then we go together and we remain on our guard. Ruper, we'll retrace our route through the mangroves. Once we're on the other side and back on firm ground, we run all the way back to the ship if we're able. Yes, master, said Ruper. Then lead the way. Ruper palmed her lightsaber hilt and set off up the path toward the exit. The two Jedi Masters fell in quickly behind her. Chapter 26 The power was still out. Throughout all Diurna and the Katakut were growing increasingly anxious. Different people kept hurrying in and out of the small room where Amos was still working alongside Cam and GT-11. They would speak with Sulek in a flurry of high-pitched flutes, whistles, and clicks, and then dart out again, relaying whatever had been said to whoever was waiting outside. Clearly, they weren't very impressed. "'To the left a little bit, GT,' said Cam. The end of his nose twitched as if it were itchy, but he didn't have a hand free to scratch it. He was lying on his belly on the ground." His eyes screwed up tight as he peered at a bundle of thin wires he'd pulled out from the bottom of the communications panel. GT-11 was providing a narrow beam of light from a lens beside his eye. He shifted slightly, and the beam tracked left, highlighting a small junction box. The fake power hub they'd discovered earlier, from which GT-11 had inadvertently triggered the failsafe that shut down the whole city's power was still hanging open close by. Amos watched as yet another katakud came in, looked at them, shook their head, and then left. This time, they didn't even say a word to Sulek, who looked like he was already carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders, or at least the weight of the city. Um, I think they're starting to get a bit anxious, said Amos. Possibly something to do with the lack of air and heat extraction from the cavern. How are you getting on? <laughs> said the Twilak. What? said Amos. Cam removed the tool from between his teeth. He scratched his nose. I said it's impressive work. Whoever did this knew exactly what would happen when their tampering was discovered. It was designed to create chaos and stop the power being switched back on but I think we can find a way to bypass it. Soon? You can't hurry a thing like this, Amos, as you well know, said Cam. Of course, you're welcome to trade places with me down here on the floor. Amos glanced at the angry catacute behind them. He couldn't help wondering if it might be a safer option. No, no, you carry on. Just do it a bit faster, that's all, said GT-11. "'I know, I know.' Amos held up his hands. "'But let's not bring that up again.' Cam sniggered. "'He's right. You were the one who told him to open the case. What choice did I have?' "'Exactly. You can't roast a tip Without plucking its wings, I know. But breaking a whole underground civilization might be taking it a bit far. I'm worried they're going to drag us off to cells soon.' "'I wouldn't worry.' Said Cam. Why not? Because the chances are their cells will have electronic locks, and given there's no power, Amos sighed. Oh, right. I feel a lot better now. Good, said Cam. He took the tool that he'd been holding between his teeth and inserted it into the little junction box, from which a bundle of wiring was streaming like fine multicolored hair. There was a popping sound and a shower of sparks, and then the lights flickered back on with a resounding clunk. Amos heard Katakouk cheering in the street outside. Maybe we'll be heroes after all, said Cam. Then the lights blinked out again. The junction box sprayed another shower of tiny sparks, and the cheering abruptly stopped. Oh. This is why they don't let us come on diplomatic missions said Amos. Here, let me have a go. Reluctantly, Cam shuffled backward to give Amos more room. He passed Amos the tool. It was still sticky with drool. Thanks, said Amos. You're welcome. Now, what I was trying to do... was link the positron distributor to the arc manifold without going through the sub-distribution relay, finished Amos. Well, yes quite brilliant said Amos you think so yes it's an excellent plan said Amos tinkering with the wires as he worked only you forgot you'll also need to bypass the static compressor and reroute through the charge looper to create enough feedback resistance oh and this he reached up grabbed the fake power hub and yanked it out of the comms array he tossed it over his shoulder He heard a katakoo grunt. Sorry. Now what? Said Cam. Amos got to his knees. Now this. He reached up and pushed a button on the console. Nothing happened. He looked at Cam. Cam looked at him. The moment stretched. Press it again, said Amos. Are you sure? I'm sure. You're certain? Just do it, Cam. If you insist. Cam pressed the button. The lights came back on. Fans started whirring. The comm unit crackled to life. And the tiny lights on the array started dancing as communications were restored. Why is no one cheering? Said Amos, getting to his feet and dusting himself down. There were broken cobwebs clinging to his horns. Cam shrugged. I guess they were feeling burned up the first five times. Amos scratched his ear I suppose you're right He glanced over at Sulek who was showing them his teeth in what Amos hoped was a smile Got any more of that strange tea? He asked Chapter 27 Obik's head was throbbing No, throbbing was too mild a word for it his head was pounding, as if someone were beating a drum right next to his left ear. He groaned and opened his eyes. His left eye was gummy with dried blood. He tried to remember what had happened. He'd been sitting at the table, eating stew. The memory came flooding back. Relic. The catacoot had come storming in. He'd swung something at Obik's head, and then... Well, then this... He was still in the common area of the umberfall but he was sitting against the wall across the room from the table his hands were behind his back he tried to move them they wouldn't budge confusion clouded his mind for a moment his thoughts were sluggish he shook his head trying to clear it then wished he hadn't as pain flared where he'd been struck he'd have to get that looked at he tried again no his hands still wouldn't move. He looked down. His legs stretched out before him. His ankles were bound and tied with a length of cable. Ah. Relic had tied his hands behind his back, too. Why had it taken him so long to figure that out? Because you have a concussion. That makes sense, he mumbled. You need to stay awake. Somewhere deep down, Behind the layers of confusion, his medical training was kicking in. Stay awake. Warn the others. Obik took a deep breath and let it out slowly. He blinked again, straightening up. That's it. That's better. Get the adrenaline pumping. He looked around for any sign of Rillick. He wasn't there. Obik cocked his head, listening. He could hear noises coming from the cockpit. had to be the treacherous catacute. Was he planning to steal the ship? Obic cast around, hoping to spot EX-9B. When he did, his heart sank. The droid was lying on the ground a meter away, a huge dent in the side of its chassis. It seemed to be still and powered down. Oh, Nebs, he said quietly. At this... The droid shifted slightly so that its eye lens was looking straight at him. A little red light swam out of the blackness behind the glass. Nibs, you're okay, said Obik. The sense of relief was palpable, said EX-9B, its voice low. Yes, all right, whispered Obik. I'll keep it down. I was just pleased to see you. EX-9B responded. Obik watched as the droid slowly levered itself upright, using its three arms to form a tripod. It was listing slightly to one side where its gyro mechanism had obviously been damaged. Can you get me out of this? Asked Obik. Said EX-9B. Look, I wasn't trying to question your competence, said Obik, still whispering. And yes was an excellent plan to play dead until I was awake," said EX-9B. It made a slight jerking movement, lifted slightly into the air, and then sank hastily back down. It shook itself, repeated the motion, and this time was able to propel itself into the air. It circled haphazardly and then swept toward Obik. Grunting, he shuffled forward to allow access to his bound wrists. EX-9B settled wonkily on his shoulder. Watch the head, said obic craning his neck to avoid bashing his wound against the droid's casing. He felt EX-9...